Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. There is a certain podcast I listen to. Maybe you don't know what the podcast is. It's like a, something like a radio show uh, by a guy named Tom Rayner. He is a church consultant, and lots and lots of people listen to him. And he wrote an article entitled, Six Reasons Your Pastor is About to Quit. <laughs> and he said that the majority of pastors that they work with right now are on the verge of resigning. And here are some of the reasons. Number one, pastors are weary from the pandemic just like everyone else. Number two, pastors are greatly discouraged about the fighting taking place among church members about the post-quarantine church, mask or no mask, gathering person or weight, and complaints on both sides are always coming in. That, that never happens here. That's a big joke, by the way. So. <laughs> Number three, pastors are discouraged about losing members in attendance. Number four, pastors don't know if their churches will be able to support ministries financially in the future. Number five, criticisms against pastors have increased significantly. One pastor said that the number of criticisms he's received are five times greater than the pre-pandemic era. And number six, the workload for pastors has increased greatly. And by the way, I'm not thinking about quitting in case you're wondering, but I do want to share with you those six things. And as I worked with pastors, when I lived in Chicago, I was an area district superintendent who worked with a variety of churches and pastors. There was a variety of pastors that were discouraged and on the verge of quitting, and that was pre-pandemic. And as I've also, I've worked with up-and-coming pastors, young guys who want to go into the ministry and those who are already in the ministry, there is one thing that I've found hopeful and helpful to say, and it's what I want to pass on to them, whether they're in the ministry or thinking about going to the ministry. It may not seem very encouraging, but it's what we as pastors need to hear, and it's this. It's going to be hard, and you need to expect suffering. It's going to be hard, and you need to expect suffering. There's no special group of pastors who are exempt from the difficulties of ministry because those who are truly leading the body of Christ should expect suffering on a variety of levels. Of course, there's wonderful blessings as well. But the reality is, is that pastors and those entering in the ministry should not have this grand idea that everything's going to be great, but they should expect suffering on a variety of levels. And that's pretty much what Paul's getting at as he's writing to the one he's mentoring, Timothy, as we look at the book of 2 Timothy. I'm studying this book right now with some teenage boys, and it's been great getting into the Word with them. And I thought, I want to study with you the book of 2 Timothy. 
Now, if you know 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, Paul wrote to talk about more of the church, the elders, the deacons, how a church should conduct themselves. But 2 Timothy is Paul writing probably his last letter before he was executed. And these are the words that he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And we're going to see throughout this letter that he's basically going to see three things. He's going to say three things. He's going to say, minister the gospel, suffer for the gospel, and guard the gospel. And you may think, well, what does this have to do with you? Because you're not a pastor. Why, why does it matter that you need to hear this? And this, this is why it matters. The church is like a train. We're all on this train together. And as long as the train is on the rails, everything is fine. But once the train goes off the rails, everybody was wondering what happened. What was the problem? This book keeps us on the rails, keeps the pastor on the rails, and it keeps the church on the rails. And we should never, ever take it for granted that our church is on the rails. Because it can just take a little bit here and a little bit there we can have a big crash. So that's why we're in the book of 2 Timothy. You may think it has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with you as you're part of this body of Christ. And you yourself also need to minister the gospel, suffer for the gospel, and also guard the gospel. So that's where we're going this morning. So let's go ahead and look at 1 Timothy, actually 2 Timothy chapter 1, Verse 1, as we start with ministering the gospel. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. God has established Paul as an apostle, a leader in the early church. And it was Paul's main goal to preach the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Doesn't seem very harmful that we're just simply preaching a way for people and the only way for people to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. What's the big deal? Who would ever be against that? A lot of opposition. Verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul greets Timothy, who is his son in the faith, with grace, mercy, and peace from the Lord. Now, these two have such a history of ministering together. Timothy, he's now a pastor, and Paul writes to encourage him as his spiritual father. And Paul has also received encouragement during the difficulties of ministry. And as any pastor I've met with and will meet with in the future to talk about, pastors will go through difficulties in ministry, and they need people to be there for them. Like Pastor Jim, he's here for me. He told me on Monday, sits in the front row because he's ready to take a bullet for me. I appreciate that. And not just physically, he's there for me emotionally. It's good to have people there for you. That's what Paul says. If you want to jump around, I want you to jump to verse 15. Look at verse 15. Paul had some difficulties, and yet he had some encouragement. He says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, <laughs> among whom are Phidelegius and Hermogenes, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. <laughs> Paul's like, everybody bailed on me. They turned away. 
But not Onesiphorus. He was there for me. He encouraged me. And now Paul is going to do the same for Timothy. Encourage him. Verse 3. Back to verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I have recalled your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. So get this. Paul's contained in prison, and yet his prayers are not contained. He's praying for Timothy night and day. I think about my grandmother when she was alive. I think that she would be praying for me night and day, not just as her grandson, but as a pastor. And it's amazing to think about the power of the prayers of grandparents like you for your children and grandchildren. In fact, we're about to learn that Timothy's grandma had an impact on him for following Jesus. I want you to look at the next verse, verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Timothy's blessed with a godly grandmother and, mo and, and mother. There is nothing greater than passing on the sincere faith to your children and your grandchildren. And now we come to the exhortation section. Verse 6. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and discipline. So at one time, Paul has laid his hands on Timothy, kind of a commissioning or what we would say a pastoral ordination. And Timothy has been sent to preach and to lead and to love and to fulfill his ministry. And at the very beginning of a ministry, it's all exciting. You know, a pastor comes to a church. He's pumped. He's going to be preaching. He's going to be leading. He's going to be pastoring. But after a while... It's going to come to a little standstill as the pastor will hit a wall. And it seems as if Timothy has hit a wall. Rather than being bold, he's pulling back. He's reluctant and fearful. Rather than pushing forward, he pulls back. Rather than being bold, he is timid. Rather than loving, he is avoiding. Rather than diligence, he is negligence. And I, and I, and I totally get this. Let me tell you why. This is what happens to every single pastor I've met. They hit this wall of discouragement because internally there are times when there could be a lot of bickering within the church. And so a pastor says, okay, I'm going to go outside the church and impact people for Jesus and then bring them into the church and hopefully they will be better than the bickering people. So the pastor goes outside the church, he's evangelizing, he's sharing the gospel and people aren't responding. And so the pastor's like, well, you mean to tell me I'm stuck with these people who are bickering and difficult, and when I go out and share the gospel, people aren't going to respond either? And when the pastor hits that wall, there's a massive amount of discouragement. And the pastor's like, forget it. I'm just going to pull back. I'm going to take a low profile. I'm going to avoid people, and I'm going to just phone it in. And it's at that point that many pastors quit 
they get discouraged or they just go through the motions. And Paul's like, oh, no, no, that's not going to be you, Timothy, because God did not give you a spirit of timidity. He did not give you a spirit of fear, but one of power, one of love, and one of self-discipline. You are here to minister the gospel, Timothy. You are here to minister the gospel. And you say, well, how? Well, look at verse 6 again. In verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. The idea here is to fan the flame of your gifting to minister to others, to work at it, to lean into it, to give attention to it, to use it. The exhortation is that if you're feeling your zeal for the Lord low, if you're fire for Jesus low and minister to others, you need to fan the flame. You need to get your zeal back for the Lord and serving others. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I don't know if you know this, but most of you in this congregation would generally fall into the older category. I'm just saying. Now, here's the reality. You may think, my past was amazing, and I hear it from you. When I was at this church, I was serving in this, I was serving in this, and I was serving in this. But now I'm older. I can just sit back. My brothers and sisters, you may have come here to retire, but you are never retired from ministry. For those of you who feel that in your heart and you say amen in your heart, do you believe that? You may have retired, but you're never retired from ministry. And if you feel like your flame is low, right now it's time to fan it. Get your passion back for the Lord. Get your passion back for serving others. You have been called to minister the gospel. There are people throughout this entire village who do not know Jesus Christ. There are people throughout this entire village who are suffering in pain. They need you. They need you to give them the gospel. They need you to care for them, to give them love. You are not retired. You need to minister the gospel. Now, that's all awesome. We like to do ministry. But the next part's not so awesome. It's the suffering part. Look at verse 8. Suffer for the gospel. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Here it is. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul doesn't want Timothy ashamed of the gospel nor ashamed of Paul being in prison for the gospel. Instead, Timothy is to get on board and suffer for the gospel according to the power of God. Why is it set up that way? Why do we have to suffer for the gospel? It's a great message of eternal life. Why can't we just go out and pray? Why do we have to suffer? Why is it set up that way? Well, I think the reason is this. When we come to a point that we realize that we are weak, then we will turn to the Lord who is strong, and then his power will be manifested through our weakness. Did you see it in verse 8 again? Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. I'll say it again. 
When we go out and do ministry, we realize we're weak. This is suffering. We turn to the Lord. His power is manifested through us to minister to others. And that's the way he has it set up so that we do not rely on our strength, but his. And that realization comes through suffering. Listen to the way that Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The great theologian J.R. Pecker always said, weakness is the way. For when I am weak, God's power manifested through me. I am strong. It's the way it's set up so that God's power can be manifested through us. Was the gospel worth it? Is the gospel worth the suffering? Well, I think it is. Let me read verses 9 through 12 for you. Look at how Paul elevates the gospel. He says that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Paul is saying, I'm going to suffer because the gospel is worth it. And as he talks about the gospel, he talks about three things. He's going to talk about justification, sanctification, and glorification. And those, those, those will be big, big words for you. But stick with me. I want to point them out to you in the text. Let's start with justification. Justification means that God saved us from the penalty of sin. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, who has saved us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. We are forgiven and declared righteous in Christ by grace not by works. And for those of you who've trying to figure out this Jesus thing, Christianity, let me just let you know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. We are forgiven by grace because of his finished work on the cross, and we are declared righteous through faith. Anyone can get in on this and put their faith in Jesus Christ. But not just justification, there's also sanctification. And sanctification means that God is saving us from the power of sin. Back to verse 9. It says that God saved us and called us with a holy calling. We are saved by grace to walk in holiness. And God is doing his work by continuing to break the power of sin from our lives which translated means you don't have to keep doing 
the addiction that you're stuck in. You don't have to keep walking the road of rebellion. There is power now, not a life of perfection, but there is power now to say no to Satan and no to sin because he's called us with the holy calling. And lastly, glorification. God will save us from the presence of sin. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 tells us right there in the middle that Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we will be in heaven one day with Jesus, forever free from the presence of sin. Now, I want you to think about this gospel that Paul is preaching. You can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, the finished work of Christ alone. You will grow in holiness, and one day you'll be with Jesus forever, away from sin, worshiping him forever. And Paul is saying, this is the gospel that is worth suffering for. Do you believe it? There is a guy who's now with Jesus. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Perhaps you've heard of him. He's put in, he was put in jail for opposition to the Nazis. And he was leading a worship service among the prisoners before his death. And he presented the gospel and the work of Jesus. And right after he prayed, two guards took him away. And, and all the other prisoners knew what was about to happen. And while Bonhoeffer's being taken away to his death, he said this. This is the end for me the beginning of life. He was willing to suffer for the gospel, knowing that even though it's all said and done here, he is going to live forever with Jesus. Is the gospel worthy of suffering? And the answer is yes. Well, lastly, Paul says to Timothy, he needs to guard the gospel. Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12 says, For this Reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Here's the idea of guarding the gospel. Paul's like, I've given my life to God, and I believe that God's, God's going to guard me until the day I'm with him, and he's also going to guard this message of the gospel that you can only be saved through faith in Jesus. So the idea here is that those who have faith in Christ are guarded until the day of Christ, and those who have faith in Christ, who proclaim Christ, that message is guarded until with Jesus. God will guard his gospel, and yet we are also commanded to guard it, to pass it down to others who will guard it, who will pass it down to others who will guard it. Look what Paul says in verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Timothy was to stick to the solid truth of the word of God in Jesus Christ. The gospel has been passed on to Timothy he was not to subtract from it. He was not to add to it. He was to simply preach it. I have the easiest job in the world. I don't have to make up content. Here it is. 
I just have to tell you about it. I just have to preach it. I don't know why that's so hard. I heard recently that the number one problem in America is not politicians, but pastors. Can you imagine what would happen to our country if every single pastor in this land simply started preaching the word? I mean, I don't care what church it is. If they said, you know what? Forget everything else I've ever said, all that crazy stuff. Let's just open the Bible and see what it says. What do you think would happen in our country? The problem is not the politicians. It's the pastors. We need to preach the word and stick to the text because we have a treasure, and that is a gospel treasure. And did you notice that the gospel is a treasure? And Timothy has said, guard this treasure and guard it with the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in him. Now, that maybe seem kind of scary. You say, okay, I got a treasure. I have the gospel. I need to guard it. I don't know if I can do this. Chuck Swindoll said, it's like the president of the United States asking you to guard all the gold reserves, but only giving you a gun. Okay, you need to guard all the gold reserves, but here's a gun. And that, that would scare me to death. It'd probably scare you to death. But what if he said, I want you to guard all the gold treasure and you have the entire U.S. military at your disposal. And that's what's going on here. God will guard his gospel truth and all those who take refuge in him. My job and all the preacher's job is just to preach it, to look at it and preach it. And God will guard it and carry it along. Now, a lot of this sounds hard. Minister the gospel, suffer for the gospel, guard the gospel. The gospel is the greatest treasure of all in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It seems hard, but I want to tell you this. God wants to use you right now, and chances are he probably wants to use you in ways that are beyond your thinking right now. Chances are that God wants to push you to greater service in loving people and sharing the gospel beyond your current understanding. And you may say, well, I don't know if it's worth it. I came here to, like, get into recreational activities, and that may cut into my time. I'm not so sure. God's going to push you. He's going to push you. He's calling you to speak the truth to others. Get out of your comfort zone and even suffer a bit. When I was in high school, college, a little bit older, there was something that came to me probably when I was in my 20s. It was very encouraging for me, and I want to leave it for you, and I know that some of you may have heard this. It's impacted me when I was a younger Christian. It was written by a Rwandan man who was called to renounce Christ or face death. And he refused and he was killed. And I'm going to share a little snippet with you this morning. This is what he said before he was killed, the night before he was killed. He wrote this. It's much longer, but I'm going to share a portion of it. He says, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. 
The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. And the next day, he lost his life. May our hearts be so centered on Christ that we'll give our all, that we'll minister the gospel and suffer for the gospel and guard it for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.